This is Kevin. And I'm Josh. And on this episode of the Filmmaker's Guide to the Industry, we talked to Eric Johnston. He is from Cook Lenses. We've all seen Cook Lenses on various projects such as Vice, Bohemian Rhapsody, John Wick, and Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's a really fascinating episode. He's going to talk a little bit about Cook's process, what their looks like, and uh, maybe even add a pinch of film school discussion. Definitely appreciate you taking the time. I know because of uh, COVID-19, you guys have had to shift on your side as well based off of the little pre-conversation we had last week. Uh, can you just give us a little rundown as to who you are and um, what you do at, at Cook? Sure. Well, thanks for having us or having me. Uh, I appreciate it in this strange time. My name is Eric Johnston, and I am work in sales for Cook Americas. Uh, it's a division of Cook Optics Limited in uh, Leicester, uh, UK. And I work along with um, a lovely lady, uh, Christine Brennick, who's the vice president. And then we have another gentleman in Brazil, Daniel Cavello, um, who runs our office in Sao Paulo for service and sales as well. I've been in this industry for a number of years. I've uh, worked for a number of companies. I've had a hand in either designing or helping to design um, a lot of the equipment that people use currently from across many different brands. Uh, also an associate member of the American Society of Cinematographers. So, you know, I'm happy to share the little bit of the Cook story with all of you guys today, and I look forward to the conversation. Well, yeah, awesome. So how, when when you first got started, you know, you said you're part of the ASC, you know, that that is a humongous feat to become a part of them. How did you get started in the, the business in general? Did you start within Cook, or did you kind of work on projects and then... You know, become a part of the Cook family later on? That's an interesting question. Um, I made my first film when I was eight years old. So I, I started rather young. Uh, I had a Super 8 camera. My father built me an animation stand out of wood, and I drew on eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper, thousands and thousands of individual cells, if you will, and film each one of them. And that, that was my first film, my first foray into filmmaking. I never thought I was going to do this professionally. Um, and when I graduated from college, one of the job offers I received was from Eastman Kodak um, in Hollywood, California, selling motion picture film, if you guys remember what that was. And oh, yeah. so I, I packed up the car and drove from New York to LA. And uh, about 25 years later, here I am, um, you know, a bunch of happy accidents later. Started at Eastman Kodak um, selling motion picture film. I then was the technical sales representative for a company called Airy, selling uh, motion picture cameras, film cameras. I was then the product manager for their um, professional camera accessory line and then was recruited to work for a company called um, O'Connor which is a fluid head manufacturer. We, a couple individuals and myself, created a new product line, the O'Connor Genuine Accessories line around the O'Connor brand. And to answer your question, about three years ago, I was recruited to Cook Optics. Um, as part of my responsibilities as Airy, I was also highly involved in selling Airy and Zeiss uh, lenses for both spherical and anamorphic work. And that translated very well into my, uh, my position at Cook. So that's, uh, you know, going, running back and forth from New York to LA over 25 years. And, you know, here I am, hopefully this is the last place that I will be, um, 
in this journey, but we'll see. <laughs> Never know, right? Nice. But with, yeah, with, exactly. with your shift over, um, you know, you, you mentioned uh, Zeiss and now you're with Cook. Um, I, I would love to to start diving into the, the Cook look and what, oh, sure. what makes Cook Cook. I mean, let's let's call it what it is. Sure, sure. You know, Cook is, we have quite a story. Um, you know, there's other brands that I've worked for that have had interesting stories, but Cook by far has the most interesting story. We are a 130 plus year old continuously operating business, which I'd be hard pressed to name anybody that even comes close to that in this industry, uh, which is which is really quite a feat, <clears throat> if if you will. So, and I'm sorry. What, where, what was the other part of the question? Uh, just diving into what makes um, the, oh the cook look the cook, cook look. look. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> sorry about that. So, oh, you're fine. Yeah, so we've we've been around for a long time, and part of the reason that we've been around is is the cook look. We've done a number of of different things throughout the year, and have gone through uh, a number of steps of growth, if if you will. You know, Ansel Adams, one of the most famous still photographers in the world, uh, one of his favorite lenses was a was a Cook lens. A lot of people don't don't know that. Um, we do manufacture two medium format still photography lenses still that come from that era, but but those are the only thing. What Cook specifically does is manufacture motion, motion picture lenses, and these are purpose-built cinematic lenses. A lot of other companies start with photographic lenses and then cinevise them. Everything we make is specifically geared towards cinema because we don't have any still photography portfolio other than those, those few legacy uh, medium-large format lenses. Um, and then what is the Cook look? It's a number of things, and there's a number of directors of photography over the year that have tried to explain exactly what that is. But it's it's just the magic of the Cook lens in the most simplest sense. When George Eastman and Thomas Edison ran that first film uh, in Rochester, New York, in front of their camera, that was a Cook lens in front of it. So we've been here throughout the years. And, in, and instead of trying to describe the Cook look or the brand, it's much easier to point to feature films, if you will, that um, people know. Most people don't know the brand that I work for. But when I say, you know, do, do, have you seen The Wizard of Oz? Well, well of course. Well, those were um, Cook lenses using the Technicolor 3 strip process. Um, back in the day when films were going from black and white to, to color. And we have continued from the silent movie era all the way into the modern era of motion picture films and commercials and television and streaming and everything else in the world. And the reason that we're here today is because the cook look plays so well with these new modern digital sensors. It used to be that the... Uh, the beauty of the shot was helped by the tea grains of the film. It created a, a subtle context to the image that was hard to capture in digital, especially with all the pixels being perfectly lined up. You know, you're never going to change the pixel array on your sensor. It's just not going to happen. So one of the things you can do to yield a more cinematic image is, is use a cook lens. You know, in the film days, there was 
people were looking for something different from their optics. And that's because you, you had the T grains of the film emulsion doing something that the sensors are not. It's almost as if that world has flipped now. Um, and people want their optics to do something different than they did before because they're dealing with the reality of a pixel array that is static, if you will. And really what it comes down to, it's beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Nothing is right, nothing is wrong. Some things certainly play better than others. And people that understand what the cook look is, um, that's what they know and, and what they what they gravitate towards. So part of the cook look, it's, it's a subtle context. There's a slight fall off from center to edge and it has to do with the way that we make the, the lenses. And then also there's, there's a, you can do, every lens is an RGB curve and you can do two of those three colors very well. And we tend to let our reds go, which is why we have a warmer lens. Other manufacturers, um, they'll let their blues go, for example, and that will yield a cooler lens. Again, one isn't right or wrong. It's, it's just really what you're intended output or intended desire actually is awesome do you feel that your lenses work with one camera manufacturer better as opposed to another or do you try to develop them to where you know they work with all sensors or do you make specific lines of lenses that work better with say a red or an airy how, how does that development go People often accuse us, especially with um, the advent of full-frame technology, in being in quote-unquote cahoots with the camera manufacturers. <laughs> oh, no, it's true. And shockingly, we barely even talk to each other, although we probably should. Really? More than okay. we do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so with the example of full-frame, uh, the advent of that, it was basically going from Super 35 in the film world, which was approximately 18 by 24 millimeter sensor, to a larger uh, still photographic sensor, which is 24 by 36 millimeters. And there were a number of things that had to do with the optics is to get them to perform to work with that. It's not that Cook lenses work better with those cameras. It's just different cameras will yield different results. And having been somebody that was at the forefront of digital cinematography since its inception, I mean, having worked with red since they even released their, their red one. Um, I can say in all honesty that the majority of these digital sensors today, and I mean, I'm talking from your Samsung galaxy phone up into, you know, a red Venice or an Ariel F they all look shockingly great. Okay, you're hard pressed to really pull the the differences. You know, if you do side by side tests, obviously you can get there. Mm -hmm. But the the point is, all of these image capture tools have grown by leaps and bounds. That they're all pretty legitimate. I mean, I've seen right. terrible stuff shot on million dollar cameras, and I've seen some of the most beautiful cinematography in the world shot with an iPhone and a depth of field adapter, and and yeah. of course every everything in between. So it's, it's not that one lens works better with one camera. It's we make tools for cinematographers and we make the tools so they can choose what story they want to tell. And right, we're probably 
the world's premier provider of anamorphic lenses. And for those of you that understand what anamorphic is, it's basically squeezing and de-squeezing the image. And it does a bunch of things when you do that. And that's mm-hmm. become a, a huge there's I, I consider there's two buckets in this world. There's fads and trends. And you know, the fads are things that go away. 3D is a fad. Every 10 years, 3D comes around, everybody realizes how awful it is, and they won't sit there in the theaters, and then it goes away. And then 10 years later, when Avatar 2 and 3 comes out, it's the it's gonna be the hottest, hottest thing again. Right. Trends are anamorphic. People have been shooting anamorphic, whether it was for television, feature films, commercials, and they continue to shoot anamorphic because of the cinematographic image that it that it yields. Um, I was recently working with one of these guys, very high-end fashion guy. We've come out with a new lens that not only does full frame, but it does full frame anamorphic. So it's a combination of those two designs, although it is a completely new design. And it has a little bit different squeeze ratio, 1.8. But I tell you this because this individual, he turns the lens 90 degrees, which is just wrong. Why? You know, these have cylinders that are specifically meant to de-squeeze along an axis. And why would you turn it the wrong way? The reason is, is because he shoots all the fashion for the monitors in, you know, all the the super high-end fashion boutiques. So when you see his work, it's shot vertical video, which is the antithesis of where <laughs> cinematographers have come from. But now you see this individual, he's shooting full frame, vertical anamorphic video. And it's pretty impressive. The, the things that the images that, that are being created with that. And he's simply doing that. He could have turned any, any camera 90 degrees, you know, any lens 90 degrees, but he wanted the anamorphic look in full frame to really make his work stand out amongst all the other work that that's out there. Um, and I think, Interesting. I think it really bodes well for, for not only him and his brand, but the actual brand that, that he's, he's working for. So with that being a, wow, a, a very um, innovative and, and new way to use the lenses, uh, you know, one thing that you guys were kind of in the forefront of was the eye technology, just making sure that all the data and information went to um, to the editors. Uh, how have you guys continued to make changes throughout the years and, and ensure that you're on top of your game? In terms of lens design or eye technology uh, b- or both. just in general? Both, if you don't mind. Sure. Well, you're pointing out something that a lot of people may or may not know. I mean, lenses were uh, metal and glass. Now they're metal and glass and wires and electronics. And there's a reason for that. Um, In this digital age, you're doing more than just capturing an image. You're also capturing metadata and a number of things that goes along with that. There's a a large um, desire for live distortion and shading correction on set. Which, which we're able to do. And this is working hand in hand with a lot of the post-production companies and a lot of these other, <coughs> excuse me, companies that help enable this workflow. All of this stuff is still being sussed out, if you will. And it's coming from a desire to push the envelope of creativity. And anything that anybody wants to do, if we can help in that manner, we, we certainly will. Um, so we have, you know, we have our spherical lenses, we have our speed lenses, we have our vintage lenses, we have our anamorphic lenses, we have our full frame lenses. We've got a lot of lenses. 
So any sort of project that you might want to shoot, Cook absolutely has a lens for you to use. Um, and we've just, being such an old company with an aggressive roadmap, we just continue to make products. I mean, our, our factory is open right now as we speak. You know, we are still manufacturing lenses at this moment. We are still shipping orders, uh, which is which is a bit unusual for this time. We're doing it in a very safe way. It's all been um, signed off by our health and safety officers in the UK, and you know it just it just goes to show uh, our desire to deliver these these products to the filmmaker. I mean, we would our factory would probably have to burn to the ground for us to stop making lenses, and even then, uh, my boss would probably put them together in his garage if it came to that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and there you go. It's like all, all the big companies started in a garage anyway. So at That's the end right, of the day, yeah. it's like we're all working out of our garages or home offices now. So it all seems to come back around. Um, when you talk about development of lenses, it's a re- really intriguing talk- topic to me. You know, what goes into developing and, you know, designing the lenses, especially for, you know, we go, we rent our <laughs> lenses, we pick them up, we put them on our camera, we use them, but then we don't think about, you know, I think right now with COVID going on, it's a great time to talk about all the people that make happen happen with the things that you use. Because, you know, before we've overlooked our grocery store workers or we, we don't think twice about our nurses and doctors sometimes, but now they're most the most important people in our lives. So, you know, what does it take to get something designed and made it cook? You know, what's that process like? And how many people are behind the scenes, you know, getting that to you in your hand to put on your camera? We have about 200 people at the factory. Uh, I, Cook Optics is a worldwide company, I believe. We're probably about 270 world, worldwide employees. And the design philosophy has always been that we make the um, lenses for three people. We make them for directors of photography, we make them for assistants, and we make them for rental houses. Those are our three core focus groups, if you will. When a lens is designed, um, the way these used to be designed is they were drawn out on paper and there were big long tables with string for ray traces and all sorts of antiquated things. The advent of computer technology has made lens design very easy, almost too easy, because the problem is now you take these down to mechanical engineering and they say, I don't know what you were doing last night, but there's no way we can manufacture what you came up with. It's just it's just too difficult um, it, because it's, it's very easy to sit down and, and design things on the computer these days, but actually designing them for manufacturers is a completely different process. So we have to find a happy medium for that. Um, a real good example of that is it's exponentially easier to design a slower lens than it is a faster lens. It's also exponentially easier to design a bigger lens than it is a smaller lens. So these are all sorts of the things that you have to keep in mind when you go into lens design. I mean, we could make the most beautiful, smallest fastest lenses in the world, but there would absolutely be a cost to that. It would be a prohibitive cost. Um, so you have to kind of find the the happy medium, if you will, and, and go with that, which I think the Cook management has done a, an exceptional a job of doing. And they always seem to really have their, their thumb right on the pulse of the industry and the 
not the not the not the fads, but certainly the the trends that that are going on. Sure, and you've had a pretty. I mean, having done you know Aerie and then O'Connor and now Cook. I mean, you've basically worked at like every stage of a camera department's tools. Um, is it different? Is it any different doing? stuff for those companies as opposed to what you've done with cook or i mean is it all kind of the the same process there's a research and development phase you know then you you build and you implement and then you get it into market i mean is it all basically the same or is it is it any different developing accessories for airy as opposed to connor as to now developing lenses i actually have very little, if anything, to do with the development of lenses at Cook. I'm in, in more of a sales and marketing job, if you will. These other companies, I was in a, a much greater development role. But if you want to talk about the process, it's I've seen the process at five different companies, and it's it's done five different ways. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, and. It's it's not to say one is right or wrong. You just you need right. to get the, you need to get the ball over the over the finish line. And I mean, I could tell you stories, you know, for hours about good projects, bad projects, bad you know, really bad projects. But it's not easy to design something for somebody. I mean, it's it never ceases to amaze me. A client, a big customer, will tell you exactly what they want, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then you'll go build that and then you'll put it in their hand and they'll say, this isn't what I asked for. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and after you do that two or three times, you, you really start to, to get a feel for the good information and the bad information that's, that you're right. getting. Um, you know, certainly in my job, I give a lot of feedback to the factory, but mm-hmm. these, the, the individuals that cook, they certainly predate me by a, by a long time. I've been here three years now. Um, and they were doing an excellent job of getting this market research before I ever showed up on their doorstep. And they, I think they continue to. So certainly I provide market feedback to them. Um, Mm -hmm. the, the hardest, you know, going back to the idea of this aid of ease of computer design lenses, I think the hardest decision we have to make now as a company is we have, let's say five or six different projects we could go for next. And the question is, which one of these do we pursue? Right. Right. Uh, and especially with, with the technology changing so quickly, you know, at first it was a question of is full frame, is it going to be a fad or a trend? Then people were worried about missing the trend. And I tend to think that when Airy releases in 2022 their new Super 35 4K camera, that pendulum is going to swing farther back to the Super 35 side rather than full frame. Um, but that that certainly remains to be seen. Now, are you are you basing that off of what you're hearing from? cinematographers i mean that's who essentially you're talking to or rental houses um or is that just like your gut feeling where is that coming from oh no it's it's coming from feedback from okay. from rental houses and cinematographers absolutely when when full frame came out nobody rental houses didn't want to invest in it cuz big investment and so everybody's kind of watching what would happen is it is it gain traction then all the rental houses had to jump on board because they were worried about missing it from a director of photography or assistant standpoint because of the larger sensor the depth of field is incredibly shallow so holding focus is damn near impossible 
um, which is really a hurdle for narrative feature work. Uh, you know, if you're shooting MOS commercial or something like that, it's sure no problem. But when you're trying to hold focus on an actor or actress while they're doing their lines and they're living and breathing human being, it's it's a very difficult job. Um, one in which, you know, I thought personally, from my personal feeling, it would have hindered the uptake of full frame more than it actually has done people the, the dps and you know the assistants and all of the wireless follow focus technology and all of the laser measuring devices that are available today have made that focus pulling job that much easier so it's allowed them to work in the full frame format without totally going crazy buzzing all their shots because of the the shallow depth of field right what's uh i'm sure you've got some interesting stories i mean i know a couple of myself to where you know things happen last minute and all of a sudden you're you're left doing the hustle to find the lens or find the camera piece or something like that and i mean with you being in sales i mean have you ever had yeah the the panicked uh guy calling say look man i need lenses this happened. Um, do you have any stories like that? Oh, absolutely. Um, it happens every day. And everybody that all of a sudden gets the job and now they've got the budget and they have a bag of hundreds of thousands of dollars, they just can't wait to throw that. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a joke. When I was, um, it's funny, but it's not a joke. When I was hired at Cook, I had because I was brand new, I, I knew all these customers. I had two customers approach me and offer me million dollar orders if if I could jump them in line. And you know, I shouldn't say this, but the, the sales school that I come from, you don't say no to million dollar orders. <laughs> and it was, yeah, agree, agreed. Yeah, and it was really eye opening because when I, you know all hot to trot went up to my boss and said, Hey, I, you know, I got these guys and this is what they want to do. He said, well, I'll tell them to get in line like everyone else. And I was just, I said, wow, this is a, uh, this is a little bit different. <laughs> so what? yeah. And I mean, he, he really meant that. And, right. and what, what is different about cook is all these other companies I've worked for. There's a, there's a warehouse in the back and they take you back in the warehouse and they go, okay, we need to move all of this stuff. <laughs> Cook doesn't have a warehouse, and I, I don't exaggerate. I mean, there is no shelf. When a lens is built, it's purposely built for a customer and engraved with their set of serial numbers, okay, their specific serial, yeah. And then it's packaged up, it goes on a table, and it's shipped out. So there is no warehouse involved in that. Every single thing that we're making is made for a customer. So there just isn't stock. So one of the biggest complaints about buying Cook lenses or getting Cook lenses is the amount of time that it takes because every single lens is hand built by these 200 people in England for the customer. And there certainly is, is, is time constraints involved with that. And it's very hard for people to understand when they want to throw you enormous sums of money that they're going to have to wait just like everybody else. Um, Interesting. Yeah. The, um, what, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> as far as what do you see kind of being the next 
thing to hit Windsor. Do you see anything new coming, you know, outside of what you talked about with the, the full frame and stuff already, the 35, do you see anything beyond that? Anything that anyone is asking for kind of like how the post houses have asked for stuff, um, anything new that you see coming up? You know, if, uh, I think that certainly I technology, uh, metadata in, in post-production is going to play a much larger role in all of this going forward. But that's a, a big, heavy technical conversation. Um, I think mm-hmm. what your listeners might be more interested in, you know, I, I lived through the DSLR revolution. And for those that don't remember, it was all sparked by the um, the Associated Press just asking Canon, like, hey, can, can you just like make a switch on this camera so we can just shoot some video b-roll and canon's mm-hmm. like yeah sure no problem and they had no idea well they did but it, it was amazing to see what had happened because all of a sudden it enabled 24p video with the depth of field that people enjoyed in cinematography and you know if you want to expand upon that i see today What's going on? Optics are very expensive, and they're very expensive for a reason. And the prices, although some of them are coming down, you don't get anything for free. And people that are shooting with a host of lower-cost anamorphic lenses, there's nothing wrong with those lenses, but they understand why a Cook anamorphic lens costs what it costs when you're used to working with something that is not of as high of quality and you start understanding the limitations of that and you're constantly working with those limitations in your job on a daily basis, you very quickly understand that, you know, you're not getting anything for free and there's a cost involved in, in building all of this. So I think personally, there's a number of DSLR manufacturers out there or mirrorless camera manufacturers, whatever you going to call them now, full frame. And they have enabled anamorphic full frame video. So I'm thinking of Lumix, I'm thinking of Sony, I'm thinking of Leica. So I can now take this new Lumix camera, I don't even know, it's four or $5,000, very inexpensive. I can rent it for a hundred bucks a day. And I can put my Cook full frame anamorphic one point times lens on this and shoot some professional full frame anamorphic 1.8 times D squeezed image. And that's where I see the new future. I think that there's going to be a whole revolution for lower cost cameras shooting these types of formats with high, high end optics on the front. Um, and I think that's, it's going to be a, a DSLR revolution version two, if you will. And I think the world's just set up that way. People want to be able to own the, the equipment for production and you know, there have always been barriers of entry into this business and optics I think still will remain to be one of those. But if you can buy a, a legitimate camera that serves your needs and match them with some real high end optics, I, I think it's a great way to go. It's where, it's where I would be looking to do. It's in fact what I do. So That's and and very interesting take. Um, I can actually see that. I, I really can, especially in the the area that Josh and I are in. Um, I'm I'm seeing the higher end lenses used more frequently than three years ago, even even um, in that short amount of time. Uh, with with you being you know very much a point person for for 
rental houses, cinematographers. You you have any a, any um, cool stories in terms of what lenses have been used on certain projects that maybe we wouldn't know about? Um, any, anything that's kind of that kind of comes to mind. I mean, I know where the connection is here is because of Black Veil. It's not where my question is going, but you know, any, any cool projects that you're like, Oh, that was actually a cool, that was a, that was a cook lens and this is how it came about. Well, you know, of course. And when you look there, there's published lists these days and they, they show the camera and they show the lens and a, a couple of other things. And you'll notice that on the, big lists, whether, you know, the Sundance films or the Oscar films, usually about a third to half of those are, are shot with Cook these days. And I mean, there's, there's absolutely a, a reason for that. Um, but to just pick, I use this example a lot, you know, Matthew, Matthew Labatique is an absolute Cook, Cook fan. And, you know, he shot three feature films recently. And the first two, I, I use a lot as examples. It was Venom. Uh, you know, Marvel superhero film. And the other one is a star is born. He shot those two films on the same camera. I don't care, but the same lenses, which were cook anamorphic SF lenses. Okay. Uh, same set in fact. And they, that those two films couldn't look any more different. So I think it really bodes well for the, the breath of, of looks that you can get from those. You have a you know, superhero post, uh, very highly, um, post-production film. And then you've got what's almost a rock and roll documentary. And I think mm-hmm. it, it just, it, it bode really well for, for both of those, you know, although I haven't seen the film and there's a number of things I'm, I'm not as excited about. He then went on to shoot, um, birds of prey with that same set of lenses. So, I mean, you've got three, three examples from Matthew Labatuik that I think all bode quite well. You know, for yeah, very, very different looks between the three of them as well. So, um, if someone wanted to, let's say someone likes technology and you know is really into camera tech or lenses or whatever, how does someone get, you know, to say to have a career at Cook? You know, we've talked to a couple other, you know, people, and it's always like, okay, so you go start in the mailroom or you do this. Like, how does someone? think about maybe a career at cook or you know with your experience having been at area or something like that how does someone get and start and build a career at one of these uh cinema manufacturers you know that's a very interesting question uh having been doing this for so long now i really don't know how you would start but when <laughs> i when i started it was still in a, an apprenticeship program so, I mean, there was a, a famous quote, I forget who said it, but they said, you know, the first, the first tool the camera department ever entrusted me with was a broom, something to that extent. And I mean, just like, every, I mean, not like everybody, I mean, I started in the warehouse on Las Palmas in Hollywood, California. And I mean, my first day of work, I was pulling boxes of 35 millimeter Eastman color negative. Um, and I, I had always had an interest in this. And if you really want an answer, I mean, I guess it's got to be passion. Those people that are passionate are the ones that follow this. I mean, I've known a lot of people that wanted, you know, quote, I want to be a DP. I want to be an actor. I want to be a camera person, whatever it might be. And they weren't passionate 
and they probably aren't working in this industry anymore. And I mean, I can name the people that were passionate and there's some of the best directors, ACs, DPs that are working today. Um, I often asked, I've worked with some of the best entrepreneurs in the world. And I always said, what's the secret to entrepreneurship? And they all give me this. They all give me the same answer. You want to know what it is? Oh yeah. They said, you don't ever give up. They don't even understand what the, what the meaning of give up is. And they just, they just keep going and going and going. I mean, they're the true energizer bunnies and it's, it's amazing because if I would fail two or three times, I'm giving up, (laughs) but then that's, that's why I'm not an entrepreneur. These guys, girls, they just keep going and going and going. The failure is not, it might be an option and they've certainly experienced failure, but it's not going to stop them. And, you know, if, if you really want to work in this industry, you can, you certainly can get an entry level job. And I mean, those people that are passionate about it, they're going to do the things that they need to do to, to make a, to make a career of it. Yeah, for sure. Well, the, uh, I mean, that's something we kind of talk a lot about is freelancing and being in industry is, you know, you're a business owner. We try to get that across a lot when we talk, you know, is that you have to look at it as a business. You have to be very mm-hmm. passionate about it. And you do exactly what you just said. You, you can't give up. You have to continue because it's a very hard industry. And, you know, we, we also push that there's a lot of different ways to get where you want to go. And, um, you know, we interviewed uh, Mike uh, Delator, um the other week, and he was the DP of Brightburn, you know, and he had worked at Panavision for a while. And that's how he kind of got in. So, there's so many different ways that you can break in or do something in, in, in this industry. And it may not be the original way that you thought about doing it, but you're still involved and you're doing something that you love. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, yeah, man. Well, uh, I think that's all really awesome. Thank you for coming on. And, uh, you know, maybe later on this year, love to have you back on, maybe see how, we get out of COVID-19 and um, sure. you know, maybe have you back on one day and talk a little bit more. That's great. You know, I really, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, thank you guys for the opportunity to, to come on and, and talk about the, the world and our brand and our products and <laughs> yeah, everything that's going on. We appreciate it. And, and people can, can rent lenses, um, you know, find your local rental houses and, and get yourself a, a set of cooks for, for the weekend and shoot. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm getting ready to go out and shoot uh, tomorrow myself. In fact, we're doing a, a local series right now. We're, we're trying to, um, I guess you would say, historically document what's going on in the world. So it's a solo series. So I have a Sony FX9 in the trunk right now, and I've got three uh, brand new Cook Pancros. I have a 27 Ooh. millimeter, a 152, and the 65 millimeter macro. And I'm going to go shoot some footage this weekend, and we'll we'll see how it is. But, is uh, this the this first time going out for this series? It's it's I'm one of the directors of photography for this series. It's done with a local rental house here, Expressway Cinema, and it's going to be called the Expressway Solo Series. But there's been a number of people that have gone out. For example, the first individual to shoot, he actually shot the new Cook Anamorphics. I forget his name, but he does a lot of the um, the local Wegmans commercials. If you're familiar with that supermarket chain. All right. Well, I mean, nice. definitely would love to see that series, um, especially with those lenses and. Um 
that FX9, uh, actually. Yeah, you're going to be hearing a lot more about it. We're going to yep. I think a lot of these things are being finished up right now. We're going to be um, releasing them quite soon. I definitely look forward to that, right. um, especially pairing with that camera. Um, I'm a Sony guy myself. I have a uh, F55, and I oh, okay. almost pulled the trigger on the FX9, um, but just, sure. just had to... Goes back to our previous conversation. I, I really, yeah. really wanted to stick with the uh, the the thirty five sensor and the fifty five. Mm-hmm. Just is, I mean, it's a it's a beast of a camera to begin with. Sure, sure. Well, um, happy shooting. Uh, thank you again for your time. I, I look forward to not only watching that, but just continuing to um, watch more films where you see Cook lenses. Great. Well, thank you guys. And if there's anything I can do for anyone, please let me know. My email is eric.j at cookoptics.com. And uh, we look forward to working with you guys. And if it wasn't for, for you, we, we wouldn't be here. So, you know, we're here because of our customers. Thank you, Eric. We definitely really appreciate the time. Um, and, and you have a good rest of your day. You as well. You be well. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Kevin, it's the end of the podcast. Josh, that means that everybody needs to stop what they're doing, write us a review, and subscribe for future episodes. Yeah, I mean, it would really help us out a lot. It helps us kind of get to the, you know, new and noteworthy section, top of the charts, help us get new people, new interesting and lovely film people on this podcast. Along with that, you can follow us on Instagram at FGI Podcast, and you can also check out more episodes and more information, more bios and information for all of our speakers at fgipodcast.com. This podcast was also recorded live in front of a studio audience, and we flew everyone out on Delta Airlines. No, but um, it was recorded live at Two Stories Media Studios, and it's presented by Greenland Entertainment and Two Stories Media. 